Hello and welcome to So Bad It's Good, the podcast that, if we're being honest, probably wouldn't have blamed Marty McFly for having a crack at his own mum. So in this podcast, we're taking a walk through everything that's trashy uh, and enjoyable about bad films. It's my turn in this episode to play Mrs Nesbitt and host the episode, but at my side is fellow cineast and my best mate, Max. So Max, what's what's been going down this week? Nothing much really. Uh, I mean, what is going down while we're in lockdown? I think that's the uh, mm. kind of existence that we're in at the moment. But um, no, I saw a really good film uh, a couple of days ago on uh, The Portrait of Lady on Fire. Um, okay, yeah. It's a really decent film and uh, yeah, quite uh, nicely portrayed. What about yourself? What have you been up to? Uh, nothing much. Did, did a few exams, but uh, uh, as you know, slight mixed bag there, but we'll see. And apart from that, just, just sort of recovering from all that revision stuff. Did a bit of reading, caught up. I haven't, I haven't read for pleasure in a fair bit, so really? I did some of that. Um, also watched films, some good, some bad. Uh, goodies, I watched, I don't know if you've ever seen um, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. <laughs> That's not a real movie. I'm it, sorry. It, it, that, it, it really is. <laughs> Yeah, okay. The title lured me in. I'm not going to lie, but it, it, the '70s sort of like, I guess noiry sort of film about yeah. this this uh, Spanish don, whatever you want to call him, puts a bounty on this guy for knocking up his uh, daughter. Okay. Loads of I don't know, like other mafia people, other sort of low lives and criminals are out to get the million dollars and and, and find this guy, um, and obviously return the head of Alfredo Garcia and yeah it's really good it's really sort of gritty and a bit like um it's like a, a movie that you really feel like the way it's shot it's really grimy and set in Mexico and everything comes across really like sandy and grubby and, and it, was, it was really good actually so if you don't know about our plans yet uh, we're spending lockdown looking at fun but albeit crappy films uh, the sticky popcorn if you like on the floor beneath films that are actually good and actually worthwhile. Here we're not really asked about the greats, we're here to find out what's good to kick back to and watch with mates. All right, so in this episode, as the title might give away, it's the turn of disaster movies. The End of Days, Melton Oceans, Wild Weather, Apocalyptic Asteroids, Escaped Viral Infections. Movies uh, like this have always been hooked on the worst of all possible worlds. This is what they're trying to say is this is what could happen to us. So listen up, pay attention and try and skirt the impending doom. But more often than not, they're an absolute mess. Uh, they're laughable. People are so uh, melodramatic as, as to be a joke. Uh, and that's, I guess, the stuff that we're interested in. But before we dig into all of these disasters, uh, we thought it'd probably best to kick off with a challenge, uh, one that we've decided to call Casting Couch. Casting Couch. So, <laughs> one day we will get some cool music over yeah, the well, That'll be nice yeah, one day to do that. It, it does need it. Uh, so, <laughs> I have got a list of, or my esteemed colleague here has got a list of made up film titles. These are ones that we've been chipping away for about a week, just every now and then, in quieter moments, coming up with random cheesy high octane sort of disaster movie titles we've chucked them in a bag and we're going to pick out one yeah the aim of the game is we'll pluck a title out and over the course of the episode in between the bits of talking we're going to try and think of a plot the big movie stars the big names the soundtrack maybe maybe how the film's marketed all, all of those sorts of things are going to go into the mix. And at the end of it, we'll have this brand new fictional movie that should be released as soon as, all based around the title. So, Max, if you want to dig into your uh, clown's pocket. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a lovely image you just created there. Um, I'm really excited about this. I really hope I pick a good one. Um, okay, going for it, going for it. Have you all gone in... Are the individual words or the full the full titles have gone in? I think the full titles of this. The full, yeah, full, full titles. Full okay. Oh, this is one. I think I remember. I wrote. I wrote this one. Uh, one. The the title that we're going to work on for the end of the episode is called Submerged. 
<laughs> yeah. So. so um that name again submerged so while uh, so is it is it just going to be me this episode are we both working on the we're both working on the title uh yeah i reckon we both work on it we co-direct the movie i reckon um Cohen brothers it. <laughs> yeah absolutely who are the matrix people that were sat the, the, the wachowski? wachowski brothers the we're gonna absolutely wachowski this <laughs> <laughs> Disasters. I mean, even off the top of my head, they come in all varieties of terrifying shapes and sizes. Some are supposed to be creepy and some are supposed to, I don't know, carry a message, social message of some variety. But what we're after is these hyped up catastrophes that are a big laugh to watch. So, Max, what type of big, horrible, world shattering things come to mind when you think of disaster movies? See, I always think of um, like natural disasters. They always pop into my mind as like whether it's like a giant tornado or mm -hmm. volcanic eruption, earthquake. I don't think like when I think about it, I don't think that many of those type of movies are out there. I think there's a lot, but don't get me wrong. But I think disaster movies are are very much more crazy and become like very elaborate the way the disaster plays out. But back in like when I was growing up, I always remember Twister. That was always a movie. And Dante's Peak, like Dante's Peak was, I don't know. I don't think I ever saw it all the way through when I was growing up. But I always thought Pierce Brosnan was James Bond because I was that age. So I always thought that like James Bond was was taking on a volcano for his next outing, outing um, which would actually be a good movie. So, um, yeah, so that's what I kind of initially think of. I think of like a big natural disaster that causes havoc and, and chaos within, within the kind of thing. What about yourself? Uh, yeah, I guess the same. I'm thinking of the big, I reckon, yeah, prob probably from childhood at some point, I'm thinking like the big 70s sort of, maybe not natural disasters as such, but just sort of blown up catastrophes mm. like uh, big buildings on fire like the tower in inferno yeah yeah tower inferno. original side adventure I remember watching that with me nan i think when i was dead young the uh obviously you know the ship being tossed over by a huge wave that sort of thing is what crops up to me some some sort of i guess natural disaster but some sort of big uh disastrous event and you've got this ragtag group of survivors who have to pull through and usually there's an arsehole and there's usually like a tough guy then tough there's guy, usually yeah. a calm level-headed one and eventually there's all sorts of arguments few of them probably get killed but eventually you're left with some sort of pseudo happy ending in a way because yeah mm. the disasters happen but at least there's there's some people who survived. There's some people who've pulled through. So I guess that's what comes in into my head. Um, what type of mm, I guess heroes is the word heroes and villains still apply? I guess in disaster films or I, I think there is. I, I think this is the thing that that you kind of bring out with it is that like we think about like I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is like a big thing where it, it's all consuming, like it all consumes everyone in the whole world is, is affected by this disaster and the whole country is affected by this disaster but more often than not like some of the most famous ones are based around a very much more micro environment like a, a, the tower inferno which is like mm -hmm. a you know it's, it's just a build like people outside they're fine or the poseidon adventure where they're you know they're in they're in a ship and it's just people on a ship so i think that's what the the weird thing is, is that in some weird way they have to create heroes and villains because they just don't. And I think that's why it falls into this category of so bad it's good movies because it's not a premise where you can fit in these type of things easily. But the thing that always seems to strike me about it is that it's never, the heroes are never heroes that you would have in other movies. They're actually like, they're, they're either a doctor, a journalist, a scientist, and they're they're the primary focus of that movie. They're not like anyone else. It, it's it, it's usually like there's no big burly hero in it. It's always like the scientist that is actually the the safe. Mm. I never thought about that like that actually. That yeah, it's 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 sort of like the revenge of those who worked hard at uni. Yeah, like the people there. It's it's not about like some uh, maybe freak superhero or it's not like a I don't know military like, man or something like that. Noiry like jaded cop type thing who, who, who actually saves the day these are like actually 
quite respected people who who when something when shit hits the fan they get called in and they can they know what's best to steer the course of survivors and humanity and so on i'm still um, waiting for your like uh for the for the disaster movie that's saved by like a, a guy with like a master's in art history or something like, <laughs> that'll be just yeah, uh... that would be good, actually yeah i mean i can imagine him watching you know the, the main characters in like a hotel yeah there's always like a conference maybe there's this big big conference and everyone uh, knows one another as well all the scientists know one another oh you're, yeah, you're dr yeah. stevenson oh yeah i love your work that you do it's just like... yeah so, so he's he's in the hotel room. The the thing comes on. The president comes on the conference. He's announced like there's this bushfire that's, that's just raided. It's, it's absolutely Europe's under fire. Uh, and the main character's just in his hotel room. And rather thinking, oh, oh the tragedy, the people, the human cost. He just goes, oh, Chartres Cathedral, <laughs> and he just mourns like oh, the Louvre. I mean, he he wouldn't be much use. Oh, big uh, obsession is all the overblown, trashy stuff that can be found in these films. So what, if anyone's on the hunt for the classic things that makes a shite disaster film, what, what, are, we on, what are we looking for? What are the tropes? Uh, divorce guy. Usually a divorce guy. That's divorce like... guy, yeah. Okay. And, and, and the, the, the guy that, it's usually the man who's divorced and his ex-wife is there somehow usually they do the same profession which i find quite funny it's like you know like your husband and wife duo that are like a, a, a scientist duo and only by working together and ultimately reconciling their relationship will they mm. will they defeat the the giant tidal wave that's heading to heading to the, to the coast of america but like i think on top of that you've got the guy that she's now with and if he's not an outright dick like he is he is just a nice faceless ordinary guy like that is, is like joking. indispensable yeah and then guaranteed he, he gets killed off is just oh, as, soon as, the, as soon as the disaster hits if he doesn't killed off if he's not killed off immediately he reveals his true colors as a as like a right twat and like she's and then she's like oh i don't want to be with you anymore even though like my husband had all his faults and that's why i divorced him in the first place it's always lots of traffic in disaster films yeah, probably one, the one accurate thing about about disaster movies that they get right about life is that the cities are always crammed full of traffic. Whereas in any other movie, they're like, there's traffic is freely flowing in a in a kind of normal yeah. way. They always like a, a countdown, right? Okay. And, and not only it's so it's not just good enough to have a countdown. Maybe in the back of a shot. So it's well, just well, it's, you mean with Carol Vorderman and stuff, or like? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll have a vowel, please. <laughs> <laughs> I think so there's always a countdown and it's not good enough it just being in the back you know like like a, like a clock in the back that no one's really looking at but you, you know it's there someone always has to give the countdown if you know what I mean so not only okay. is it on like a, a monitor or some sort of like NASA screen or something like that but someone will always go say <laughs> what are you talking about we've only got 16 hours and 41 <laughs> minutes left I've never noticed that before, but you're absolutely Someone always right. says it, it's not good enough for it to just like <laughs> pop up on a screen or like, or, or you know, like a, a buzzer or alarm to go off. Someone's always got to say it. The other thing that happens is that guaranteed when they save the day, okay, and like everyone's cheering within the space centre, there's that one guy, usually the grizzled, seen it all, like hard mm. guy who just sits there like stoically, like, it's it's like everyone's celebrating, but like it's too much for him, and he just has to sit there and think and digest it all, yeah, okay. recognize and contemplate like that they nearly came this close to disaster, um, while everyone's like cheering and celebrating around him. Yeah, the, the, yeah. The, there's always like a contemplative guy who has to a bit more thoughtful than everyone else. Who's yeah, he's he's annoying. He's that guy. <laughs> always, always meetings. In yes, yes. Either like top level security ones where there's, you know, like 10 of the most yeah. uh, secret agents and all, all stuff and the president in one room or public meetings, which are even more annoying. So I, I've just watched The Swarm. <laughs> that is, uh, we need to go into that later. Uh, that is, that is uh, fantastic. Well, that. Yeah, there's basically 
a meter. To be honest, there's the perfect mash mashup in the swarm because at one minute he's addressing like the you know these these top agents, uh, top security military people, and then he just this is Michael Caine, and he just goes. Um, he gives like this big brief and top secret stuff, and then he just turns and goes, "Oh, and I've also invited the uh, headmistress of the local school in." <laughs> oh, oh, thank Christ, she's there. And then next, Miss Trunchable's here because, like, otherwise we know next, what is going to happen. It was like the the mayor who's, who, who I think ran like a florist shop or something in the in in the film he was like he was the mayor but it was it was just a, it was it was a shit gig he was yeah you know he did he did what he ran like a butcher's or something like that but he was also the mayor but they were there they were there why were they listening to that I think and that's at one thing. point he asks their opinion as well. <laughs> Not even like it's question time. He wasn't even he was it wasn't even good enough to just have them just uh, they're just a set of ears. They're just listening and just just ignore them, bringing their views in on how to tackle a swarm of killer African bees. I want to stop you there and ask how's submerged? Oh, I've got some good. I've got some with your creative. Ch ch chuck some words at me. What what have you got? I'm going to go, I, I, I mean, my, my initial thing, and this is going to be a weird one, but it came to me while we were speaking just now. Tommy Lee Jones is going to be in this movie. Oh, okay. okay. So you're already thinking of... I'm thinking the, of the, actors. That's how I'm building it up the plot. Yeah, this is how my creative juices for... And Kelly Rowland. Um, <laughs> um, and the rest of Destiny's Child, are they... <laughs> no, no, just Kelly. This was a this was a, a attempt of uh, breaking into the acting scene. Um, following that, um, yeah, I, I'm, I have I have a little idea of percolating about where it's going to take place, but I just need to I just need to think a bit more on that. Like, but I, I think I think those two star-studded cast members are going to be like the the thing that's going to make sell this movie. I've just got one word written down at the minute. What's that? Atlantis. <laughs> Ashley. Yeah. So um, I think when, when I thought of this idea of doing a podcast with you, I wanted to also make sure we're, we're kind of keeping an eye on some of our favourite people within the industry. Our cult people. heroes. Our cult heroes, 100%. Uh, so every now and then I'm going to do a quick Google search to see if I can find an update on these people. Um, I think this one's made headlines and I think it's worth discussing because it's topical and this is our first episode, so we need to try and get viewers somehow. Um, okay, yeah, agreed. So, Tiger King, watched it, loved it, enjoyed it, yeah. and all that stuff. Did you know that Nicolas Cage is going to be uh, portraying Joe Exotic? <laughs> I did. I, I'd heard... <laughs> I don't know, you guessed that it was too good to be true? Well, apparently... It, I mean, as, mar as far as I understand, it is true. Um, hmm. I, I cannot wait, personally. I think I think it's the role he was born to play for. I think this is his Lincoln. This is his, like, his you Hamlet. know, his Hamlet. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Joe Maldonado Passage is Cage's Hamlet. <laughs> so he's going to be playing him, what, from... from is like like a prison cell model? no i think it's i mean i i reckon it'll be framed like, definitely definitely be framed with like cage exotic in a prison cell yeah, uh, yeah. watching like and then it flashes back maybe to like and then it'll just be him setting up the zoo i think they're going to try and portray him as a as a heroic character i reckon but um interesting I, i'm just kind of keen to know who else are going to play the supporting cast like who played the caroline baskin like that has got to be like a, a role that some people are going to really want Oh, that that's gonna get so much attention. Great audition tapes, actually. I'd like oh, yeah. to see the audition tapes for forever goes for the role. The thing I'm most excited about though is how Cage is going to bring his unique shaman method style of acting. I think yeah. it's called like shamanistic method style to mm. the role of Joe Exotic. Do you reckon he is going to actually buy lions and and rear yeah, and get into them. the character? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you reckon he's going to get his eyebrow pierced and have it hanging by like a single <laughs> spine? Like, 
Christian. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Cage. Yeah, will probably buy a lion sanctuary. Probably dabble in the like ivory trade. I imagine just just for the hell of it. Um, just start his own cult. Uh, yeah. yeah, start as start his own cult. Definitely, sort of wear lion skin. I can imagine. Imagine him doing that a lot. I reckon he does that already. Like I reckon that's in his purse. Yeah. <laughs> it gets to costume, and he's like, uh, "Which of my shirts would you like me to wear?" <laughs> I think we haven't. Also, what about? Is he going to do his own music videos as oh. Joe Exotic? <laughs> has he has he ever been in a singing role, Cage? I I can't. I feel like he should have been because with I the amount of movies like he's done. But like I can't think of one. That I can't think of one. I mean, he does do a few... Not then. I mean, this is the role he this, should do. This is it. I can't... I mean, to see the mullet as well, to have, Joe, like, Nicolas Cage with... Because he's, he's, his hair is, is iconic uh, in all his movies, so... Is there a physical resemblance? I think he's going to have to lose, like, a lot of weight, to be fair. Really? Not, I always thought Joe Exotic had, like, a podge on his... Yeah, but but he just had pot belly. He just had the pot belly. <laughs> um, he just had that. You know what I mean? So everything yeah. else quite slight and quite... Like, weirdly sort of, like, scrawny in a way for, for a bloke who, who makes his living around, like, dangerous animals and things like that. So, yeah, I think there's going to need to be some sort of phys- slight physical transformation with Cage because as visually I, I'm not there yet mentally it's hardly, it's hardly it's hardly Christian Bale in the machinist though I mean <laughs> like, it's hardly that <laughs> I, I can imagine Cage taking it so seriously as well and like having his like cr- like crutch thing and like walking with like a limp and not breaking character throughout the whole like six months of filming and, mm. and taking on like the supreme role um, of it and inventing more affectations than Joe Exotic actually had, because I think that's part of Cage's process, is he has to develop some weird affectation. Um, yeah, yeah. And Maybe you'll learn Tiger. <laughs> learn to speak Tiger. So, Max, we've tried to, I guess, sketch the bigger picture of what mm-hmm. makes disaster flick. Um, big natural events cosmic events viral happenings and so on but probably get down to brass tacks and look at specific classics the disaster movies that spring to mind so have you got a favorite that you want to jump in with i mean i think i think we should be about left behind so this is in the catalog of one of our film heroes uh, a, a pretty minor entry, would you say? Yeah, I mean, it's like Nicolas Cage. I think there's a there's a bit of background to this. Uh, I think it's knowing where Nicolas Cage finds this like series of of numbers that imply all these world disasters, and ultimately he he kind of locates the fact that this is the end of the world for planet Earth, and um, certain children usually are like taken off the planet to be able to start life or start societies out in the galaxy that's essentially how the, the movie goes there's a, a huge like element of biblical references about like garden of eden and the aliens being angels but it, it's quite vague on the whole like it's it's a pretty shite movie but it kind of plays it down the line a bit it's quite difficult to take the mick out of it because it's so dark and dreary and miserable as a as a plot that you can't be poking holes in it as the same way that you can with other movies but then you get left behind which is taking the religious idea of it and cranking it up to 100. And the idea being that Nicolas Cage is a guy who's had an affair. He's a pilot um, who, (laughs) this just tickled me, but his his name, and he says this in the movie, he goes, hi, I'm Captain Steele. They're on a plane. And and then he's, he's got his daughter, I think, who's like on the ground. And she, and they're both like in the situation. And all of a sudden, a bunch of people just vanish. Um, their clothes are like piles on the floor and they're just, they're just gone. Eventually, and it's very like it, it builds up this understanding that it's the end of days. It's like, you know, revelations. These are all the good people who have been like, spirited up to heaven and everyone else has been left behind 
to face yeah. the 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 wrath of of God or the the end of days. I'll, I'll make a point aside because I know you don't really watch The Simpsons, but this is a movie that Homer Simpson watches, and is literally the exact same premise. It's called Left Below as well. From oh, the, so the Simpsons was before the Simpsons episode was before this. Oh yeah, yeah. Simpsons did it. Oh. But Simpsons have done everything to be fair. So you know, yeah, yeah. no no criticism. The premise is there. His co-pilot is gone. There's no one on the ground. Apparently, every ground control officer um, was good and went to heaven. <laughs> so actually, in many ways, it's like this bigger disaster of everyone going, being spirited away. But actually, it's a very micro story of Nicolas Cage on a plane trying to calm a bunch of these, these people in the cabin. And meanwhile, his daughter is like trying to, to find out what the hell is going on. So that is, that is the premise in a nutshell. How soon do people realise what's going on? It takes a time. It does take its time. And it, I think what's frustrating about it and what kind of makes it something so mick-take-worthy is that you're watching it and you know the premise because you, it, it's so blatantly obvious from, from an audience's perspective that, it's, that these people have been spirited to heaven. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wanted to start off with that one just because it might not be the one that you'd initially see. It's not like a, you know, it's a classic disaster movie. In, in many ways, it takes a lot of new turns, like doing the whole religious thing and, and all that stuff. But um, yeah, the, it, it's just bad. But um, yeah, so that's the one I want to kick off with. What about you? What would one, if you want to like kick off with one, um, what would you say? I was, had a scout out at The Happening. I'm not sure if you've seen that. That's brilliant. Mark Wahlberg in that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's a good Wahlberg performance. It's a terrible uh, Deschanel, Deschanel performance. Oh, yeah, it's like Deschanel, isn't it? Yeah. He is awful in that. Um, so, the, yeah, the basic one of this is, from what I gathered, lots of, similar to Left Behind in the sense that people just start drooping dead on the streets, loads of, there's lots of self-harm, lots mm. of wild... Uh, self-willed sort of acts of harm like cars drive into trees people seem to be jumping off rooftops and stuff like that um and the plot is that this science teacher <laughs> ryan Wahlberg, has to try and solve what's going on uh-huh. um it's an m night Shyamalan film which might Shyamalan, be a red flag yeah. because Sh- Shyamalan. Shall I, shall I, I, I think Shyamalan, no. but Shyamalan. Sure, Wazzy Wazzy. Um. <laughs> sure, yeah. So he's, uh, you know, known for his big plot twists and is often very forced, um, very manufactured plot twists as well. Mm. So trying to shovel in bits of absurdity that pr- probably just don't belong in the film. And this is this is a classic stinker in the sense that as... Uh, the plot unfolds. It turns out that it's actually the foliage that's the killer. It's <laughs> it's trees and leaves. As far as far as I can piece together, you know, it's it's some sort of uh, eco message. Like they've had enough of us working our way on the environment, and and they're just like uh, fighting back. And the, the, there's just it, it is really poor. It's terrible acting, which is always good to laugh at. So there's, yeah. there's plenty. Of that. And there's the ridiculousness of the plot and how that strings out, which is fun. And I guess because it's everyone's crazy, everyone's going wild, no one's sure what's going on. There's loads of just non sequitur sort of lines. There's this, they meet this guy in like a greenhouse. Okay. Uh, so he's like, a, he loves his plants and he's, he's got this big greenhouse. He talks to them and everything like that. And at one point, they, the plants. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's he's packing for a picnic. They're getting out, I think, because they think you know they, they need to move on, move between cities, which is quite a common disaster thing. It's like uh, exile and travel is a big thing in in disaster films. Uh, they do that here, but as he's packing, he just tells everyone that he's packed hot dogs, um, and he asks people whether they like hot dogs, and he sort of turns at, at one point. Zoe Deschanel, I don't know whether she's a vegan or something like that in it, but but he turns, he goes, do you like hot dogs? And she sort of like politely, sort of, mm, no, not really. And the look on this guy's face, like <laughs> pissed on the eucalyptus. 
he was absolutely fuming this guy. Um, <laughs> and it, again, so and he's like this sort of like conspiracy theorist crank guy who's it, it, it's just it's just full of stuff like that. It's like they picked all the the shreds of a disaster film and put them together in something that just doesn't come. Uh, but it doesn't mean at any rate that it doesn't afford a good few laughs. Um, it takes itself very seriously and I think it deserves a, a few sort of grenades lobbed its way. I think that I, the scene I remember watching that, I watched it a, a while back, but the one that stuck out in my mind and it was like, this was like biggest, the, the big red flag that this was a, this is not a good movie, was that scene in the science class where he... <laughs> yeah. Are you talking about when he asks that kid? <laughs> yeah, he asks the kid and he kind of comes on to the kid, which... Yeah? Like, it's, just, it's just really weird. But then Your he's just face like, is perfect. <laughs> Your face is perfect. But also, it's also weird because I think he's asking a very challenging question to what I'm guessing is a group of high school kids. And... Yeah. And like he's just like, why are the bees just vanishing? And 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 all the kids are like looking at him like, I, I, I just wanted to learn, you know, what the mm. mitochondria was. Like I, I don't really need, I don't wasn't expecting this to be a challenge posed at me by my teacher. And yeah. it's just, it's one of those things. It's again, this goes back to our like classic tropes within the the TV within the genre. It's like there is usually a scene where the te- the scientist or the teacher will pose a question that is like a representative of like you know like what do we do when you know all the bees go and and have and there's this like debate that happens and it just highlights how no one knows what they're talking about and that usually works when it's at like a conference or something where like the people who are having these debates are like leaders in their field not like a, a bunch of 14 year olds who like literally have no yeah. idea what their teacher's talking about yeah that was funny yeah when he when he introduces it and he's forcing him, he's like, come on, come on, like, we need theories. And he's just plucking people at random. And to be fair to the class in this scene, they have a really good go. Um, like, one of them goes, oh, I don't know, some global warming. I think, yeah, good guess. The, the other one is like, oh, could, could, it, could it be like they've developed a disease? And I'm thinking, yeah, good one. Uh, to be, I, I think... The kids in that classroom scene are the underrated heroes of this yeah. film. But also one thing that's ridiculous about that as well, though, is that he goes, he singles out the, like, you know, pretty boy of the class because he wants to, like, and, and it's implying mm-hmm. and everything is telling you this pretty boy has no idea what's going on and that's why he's being singled out. And then he says the answer that is, like, first of all, like, the most non-answer to the oh, situation. It's, it's like, it's a random na- freak of nature and we can never know. And then Mark Wahlberg goes, like, that's the answer I'm looking for. That one right there is exactly the answer. No, it's not. That's not an answer. That's barely yeah. even a response. Like it's just. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It yeah. It, it it's such a yeah. I hated that scene, and then the sort of jock who turns round and says, um, "I don't know, if something happens," and he's gone. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like M. Night Shyamalan going like, oh, you know, something happens. You could call it The Happening. Mark <laughs> yeah. Wahlberg just spins <laughs> That's That's one of the things, like, the, the amount of times happening as a word <laughs> crops up in that film. There's, I'm sure the, on YouTube somewhere, there's someone's done, like, uh, like, a little tally, like a little count thing of how many times someone says happening or it's happening or what's happening. Um... I think also there's that famous scene with the old lady in it, isn't it? And and Mark and she's like, "You're trying to kill me in my sleep, aren't you?" And he's just like, "What? No, no!" But he comes across so insincere as if he is <laughs> trying to kill her in his sleep. How about I'm guessing one of the first things in mind when you think of disasters is is these big, like big budget sort of blockbustery type disasters. Uh, so I'm thinking. I know we've both shared a few precious memories of this film but i'm thinking maybe the beside adventure remake uh i like to say i i I remember the original i remember watching the original years ago with gene hackman in he was classic movie he was it it was it was really good because he's um i'm not not sure what exactly because kurt russell's the the new gene hackman in this Mm. he was like the ship's 
Hackman was like the ship's priest, I think, priest, uh, yeah. the ship vicar. So something like a natural disaster like, means something to this guy because mm. it's like his God testing me is not like so maybe it means something more to him than it does. And he's, he's sort of tested throughout it. He's a bit of like a torn character at times. Uh, but yeah, a good film. But then the remake is it has gone all out on like the the sort of the visceral effects and, yeah. and like gory side you've of it. Like that... disc- you've got discount Bradley Cooper in it as well, who's like <laughs> yeah. he's like the main I character. I don't know the actor's name. Yeah, I do not know his name, but he looks the spit of Bradley Cooper, and that's all. Like every Goes time I look at him, Barber as Bradley Cooper. <laughs> yeah, beard trimmer and everything. So this is classic disaster in the sense that the ship overturns, this big tidal wave everyone's uh, well, lots of people die um but there is this band of survivors that have to work the way paradoxically i guess from top of the ship what was the top of the ship to the bottom of the ship which is quite an interesting idea but any scenes that spring to mind I mean, you know you know the scene that springs <laughs> to mind it's the scene that like we we've laughed at non-stop is when they're crossing over the elevator shaft and what's the, what's the there's the butler's name like Pedro or something and he's like it is Pedro yeah it, it's it's like uh, you know Rudolfo or Rudolph. Valentino or something you know it's it's one of them he's got like a cutesy name yeah and he's like a really nice guy and there's Richard Dreyfus in it who's like he's it's, he's letting Richard Dreyfus go over the, the 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 gap of the elevator first and and then like the 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 kind of bar that's holding them in place and allowing them to cross the shaft is it slips and. In like a panic, Rudolfo like grabs Richard Dreyfus's legs and is like terrified of falling, oh absolutely terrified of falling. And then these heroes, and these are the good guys, is like out of nowhere, discount Bradley Cooper just suddenly goes, kick him off, <laughs> kick him off. <laughs> like this Pedro guy is like crying and saying, no, don't Dreyfus do it. is crying as well. He really does not want to hoof this guy off. Like he's, I don't know, it's... Is Dreyfus like a doctor in it or something? I don't know. I think I so, yeah. He just it, then he just boots him off. Like, yeah, and then yeah. and that's it. He he boots uh, he boots poor Pedro off the off the elevator. One of my favourite death scenes in any film. But I think I think what about it is that that is like a, a horrible sad thing. And usually within something it's meant to be a horrible sad thing. And usually in something like that, first of all, the character like sacrifices himself or it's an accident or it's like some tragic farewell this is a guy who's desperately not wanting to die in this situation and desperately not wanting to to face this situation so immediately it's a bit weird but then usually after they die if they start you don't usually see the aftermath they go kind of fall into the darkness of the void or something but this poor butler he falls to like the 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 bottom of the shaft gets impaled on whatever shrapnel's there, and then like yeah. two seconds after, the elevator above them gives way and just and just crushes him. And you see it all, and you're just like, "Are these the good? I don't. Am I meant to be supporting these people now? Like, are, do I feel? Do I, do I think they feel good after this? Like, I don't think it's ever mentioned after that scene as well. I don't think they actually address the fact that they just like brutally murdered one of them. Actually, obviously, they, they just loved this camera angle. They loved this idea of a lift squashing. <laughs> a waiter or, or whatever he was the like directors have thought that they're showing something really horrific and something that the audience are going to want to like hide beneath a cushion to watch because it's so graphic but actually it's just laughable like they've, they've over-egged it so much yeah 100% uh, they've tried to be gruesome they've tried to be tragic too hard and it just comes off as laughable like they, these people are just being played with like ants in a, in a really nasty way by the team mm. uh, and it's just comical i want to make a special mention to some of my favorite scenes in the swarm if you don't mind so i did did take a watch at the 1976 movie with michael kane yeah michael kane sort of uh, i mean I, I think he himself would agree that this is low this is I, worth I, I have to I have to give the the movie credit for um, <laughs> I have to give the movie credit for showing honesty in it. When a little boy is seeing his parents being killed by bees, he just immediately goes, oh, "I'm out of this now. I'm not going to die here." Runs Jumps the in the car and just drives <laughs> off and leaves his yeah. parents. He has <laughs> this really long, you know, these killer bees come over. It's a horrific. Starts off as a really nice. Uh, the film does it really cheesy. Like this man and wife are all like 
hey, honey, can you get the cottage cheese? And, 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 and he's like, oh, God, what a lovely day. And it, it's this really like cheesy sort of lovey-dovey family trip. And then these bees absolutely molest these people. The kid, yeah, he just gets in the car, drives, but drives right into like the city center, I think. Center <laughs> where they're having like a flower festival or something like that. So he's made the drive from this, I don't know, suburb or whatever, through to the village center. He crashes, eventually crashes after a good, what well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hazard a guess, is like a 20 minute drive of not being caught or stopped or fined. Uh, that, that that just gets skirted over eventually. The thing, the thing, his hallucination of the giant bee in his room. Yeah, as well. when he's that, on. That was, yeah. yeah. But the other thing that I also love is later on in the movie is when Michael Caine is speaking on the phone to someone. And he's like, "It's happened. The war. I the war. I always talked about." And he's like, "What a specific <laughs> conversation is that? I always told you that killer African bees would come here and we'd have a yeah. war with them." And yeah, and he goes. I did to be and then he, so he's yeah so he, he's playing the whole like the completely cool cucumber scientist guy who knew knew this was going to happen at some point and and then he's just like yeah you know obviously this and then he just goes but to be fair I didn't think it'd be the bees <laughs> it's just like well what right one what what was that big speech for because <laughs> if all you've done is predict conflict well I could have done that. And if, if it's not with the bees, then what did you see it as? Was it like, uh, the, the, uh, yeah, there's some great set pieces in that. Um, again, comical, there's a bit where they, they evacuate the, the little town, Marysville, whatever it's called, and they think, right, we need to get rid of them. So they pack them all off on a train. Um, but, oh, no, the bees <laughs> not having this. So they track the train down. And sort of buzz around like the uh, cockpit, whatever you call it, the, the, where the driver is. Distract him. Uh, train falls off, blows up, kills everyone. <laughs> so, I also I also remember the scene in the other another vehicle vehicular destruction by the bees was when um, the, the helicopter pilot was attacked by the bees, and he's like, <laughs> I can't see anything. And then it cuts, and literally not even a third of that window is covered yeah. in bees like there is literally like only the corner where the bees gathered obviously because the production crew put honey there and nowhere yeah. else on the window um, yeah i think i i really enjoyed that as well i think that is perfect that's just reeks of sitting around on sunday morning with mates maybe you know uh, after a night of drinking or maybe maybe it's just a general catch-up and you can absolutely get your teeth stuck in and rip rip into the premise the acting is is classic b movie all of the bogus science stuff is there that we've talked about it's it's got all of the it, it's got the it's probably at the moment in cinema when that disaster film was had this perfect like glossy formula and all of the films like the town they, they, they just stuck to it uh, and I think because of that, it's perfect bait to just like rip into. It, it, it's yeah. it's great for that reason. Okay, so you've heard us talk there about some of our favourite disaster epics. Uh, none of them will ever see the light of critical acclaim, but they're, they're always uh, worth watching. So we're pretty much close to finishing up. But there is one poor, uh, final important thing to do, and it's time for us to hear for the first time a screenplay for our made-up movie called submerged so max i'm hoping that you've got like a really innovative and star-studded plot for submerged mm-hmm. I, well i like to think so okay so do you want to lead us in with the plot to submerged the latest disaster epic to hit screens you kind of gave me a good hint with this when we talked about uh, Atlantis was the one word that you penciled down and uh, combined with my star studded <laughs> cast, yeah. cast of okay. Tommy Lee Jones and Kelly Rowland. I want to imagine a simple, straightforward plot of LA sinking into the ocean, mm-hmm. a modern day Atlantis story and LA being yeah. submerged probably going to try it, tie it to like the San Andreas fault, that kind of pseudoscience of 
the San Andreas fault just causes. Yeah. So uh, we do that. I'm going to say that um, Kelly Rowland is going to be, and feel free to jump in at any point where you feel like you can make this story work even more. Uh, we, got, we are going to share yeah. the profits of this multi-million pound deal. <laughs> but I can imagine Kelly Rowland is going to be playing a uh, hard-nosed reporter. I think I think I think that uh, <laughs> I think I think generally speaking, the uh, the the kind of character or like female characters within disaster movies, they occasionally play a scientist, but whether it's just through like some un unconscious sexism within the industry, I don't think people allow women to play scientists in movies. So they've made mm -hmm. they're usually like a nosy reporter or like a really like hard nosed businesswoman. But in in this case, I think Kelly Rowland plays a good reporter. She's a good reporter. Is she is she like a star reporter? Is she already like big, you know, big journalist, big stories, or is she one of these? She's doing like the lonely hearts and the crosswords. <laughs> or she really wants to be, you know, Watergate style journalist. Is she on the way up, or is she already a hit? I think it's on the way up. I don't think she's as low as doing the lonely hearts ads. I think she's more in the realm of trying to find that first big break so she's on like a, a respectable section of the paper like she's on I'm, I'm gonna say for the purposes of the story and i'm just thinking aloud here it's like an energy and commodities section of the paper that she's working on okay yeah, um yeah. with the la times or something she's like working on that she's like you know trying to find a thing i think the movie would open with someone like um oh, who's the guy who plays morpheus in the matrix oh uh, uh, lawrence fishburne He's the editor because he's the editor. he was the editor in Man of Steel, and I just yeah, that's yeah. how it just struck to mind. So he's got he's got he's got range okay. there. He can, he can feed off that that role, um, and like Lawrence is just not having any of it. She's like kind of trying to come to him with big breaking stories, but there's all this bureaucracy that's stopping her from doing whatever she wants to do. That classic journalist trying to fight against the machine, even though her paper has become the machine. So that's he's like. That's what she's like trying to do, and that's her, that's her like right. that's where she that's where we, we first meet her. Just also simply because I don't think Tommy Lee Jones can play any other role. Um, I think he's going to be a some form of military man um, who has somehow uncovered that this disaster is going to happen, that LA is going to sink into the sea, and it probably is related. I'm going to say to some military testing that is causing strain on the San Andreas Fault. So big conspiracy there. He kind of comes to her, be like, you know, I, I recognise that you're really trying to make a difference, blah, blah, blah. They get together. They're going to be ready to crack this story wide open before they can do. Is he, like, trying to pay her off, shut her up, like she's getting too nosy? or oh, like? No, I think he's very much like the, the type of military man who's like, no, this is not what I signed up for. I'm not going for this. People are going to die, goddammit. And, like take up take on from there is he one of those who wears like his military medals all the time he's got like that they always wear them on the like no i see i feel he's one of these guys he's always like prepped some semi-prepped for for combat so he's wearing his like not army fatigues but he's got like the shirt on like it's not like he's dressed for parade he's like dressed to potentially like stop things from happening okay um, right but i think we need like an evil we do need, yeah, so who's so what an energy company some someone like that an, an evil big conglomerate yeah do we have billy zane as the, as the ceo of the energy company Billy Zane. yeah okay billy zane um yeah he, he could definitely pull that sort of smarmy uh character probably what does he want with la i wonder if it's like uh they call it fracking where it's like drilling drilling beneath the thing but they drill to the fault line maybe yeah, not maybe. Let's make it happen. You know, there's they've drilled too close to the fault line. LA is now sinking into the sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all of them, uh, like in in 2012, where there's bits, there's all like buildings collapsing, and the next minute, I think it's Dunkin' Donuts or whatever takes the hit. Yeah, and they've got like a big donut on the building, and the donut falls off and is now rolling. And they took that film so seriously that you can't have a scene where a donut is rolling down the street and be like a serious movie. Okay, so we've got Kelly Rowland. Uh, what is she going to do now that she's yeah like in this situation with Tommy Lee Jones? Probably, how is she going to uh, to kind of escape this situation? I wonder if I mean if this film this year maybe she's switching from like print media 
which is her main, you know, her, her bread and butter. But now, now she's doing like vlogs because obviously, if there's no printing press and things, but they'll still mm-hmm. have everyone will still have the phones and stuff like that. See, I feel like if Kelly Rowland is going to have any shot of being in this movie, we need to make this movie in the early 2000s okay. where she was still oh, so, relevant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and that Billy Zane would have been relevant then as well, coming fresh off the back of Titanic. You know, you'd be able to. Um, I also had, this is one of the notes that I wrote down. I don't know why this was like such a vital part of the story, but I felt it needed to be included. So all movies usually have a soundtrack associated to them. So in my mm. mind, I was thinking that the uh, the musician associated with this one would be Seal. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not Kelly Rowland, though. Not Kelly. No, no, no. I mean, she's trying to distance herself. back on that. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she, she... And I think it'd be, he'd try to invoke some James Bond vibes to it as well with the song. Like, it'd be kind of like something like a, like the recent Billie Eilish one, like that deep brooding type thing. Maybe even just Kiss from a Rose because that's just a banger. It's, it, it is a good song, yeah. And it, yeah, they, they could have that over a montage of like buildings getting flooded, um, big, I don't know, cemeteries getting flooded. Yeah. Um, Maybe. Oh, how about this? This is the idea. Just, you've just given me this idea now. LA is sinking into the ocean. There's some, I don't know how they're going to get away with this, but the energy company, Zane Incorporated, is going to. Um, try to cover it up and make it seem like they're not responsible but yeah. Lawrence Fishburne has got all the information and he stays behind in the newspaper place while LA is getting submerged in water so that he can essentially publish the story and run the story online okay so the the sort of like deadline element of the disaster film is they've got to get the last issue out which 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 just like you know blows up the whole truth yeah blows up the whole truth but for some reason mm-hmm. Lawrence Fishburne has like is sacrificing himself to do it he's yeah. like the ed- he's like the captain who st- who start he's, he's with his sinking ship and literally the newspaper building you know the, the publication house is sinking into the sea and yeah. he's staying there while the lights are going crazy and the things collapsing yeah. and he's like busy writing and sending and sending it over an email so that it can get printed or published and and go out and breaking the story that Zane incorporated. Yeah, yeah. So, so they're, all their presses are, are going to shit, but then he's got friends at like the New York Times or whatever yes. who are yes. going to print it for him. They're going to do like the last issue yeah. uh, pro bono or whatever. And, and he's like phoning all the, the copy and everything over to them. Mm. Uh, maybe he's, I wonder if there's a, a scene where oh what what if she's like dictating the, the she she's in the she's in the Celsius or the Zane Incorporated now she's got the secret documents that she needs or she's seen the reactor or something yeah. like that That's power in it she's got the hard proof she's describing it she's phoning in the last bit of copy as the officers flooding yeah and it's like will Fishburne like get the get the crucial paragraph before the newspaper HQ just goes underwater. A hundred percent. And then so I'm going to, I'm going to build on that. She's not phoning it in. It's the early two thousands. So it was that period where everyone was trying to plug different technology. So it's, yeah. she's going to have a, 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 a yeah, a, a, like a, a razor phone, like a flip razor phone. And it's oh, like yeah. taking cr- crappy low resolution photos that somehow come up really perfect on Lawrence yeah. Fishburne's computer. Um, just to like add to that level level of like timeliness yeah. that is coming so they on. They need like the picture of like this this super uh, tectonic plate drill. What I mean, you know, whatever science we use, she needs a picture of it to prove it. Yeah. Uh, running around. I wonder if she's she at one point she has to like go on the roof for signal. Yes, yes, that's that's brilliant. That is brilliant. That is fantastic. Okay, on the roof for signal, she's climbing up, maybe on some sort of big signal pyre. She could fall. So he Kelly could. could fall to a death at yeah. this point to get this crucial piece for the article off to Fishburne, who's yeah. in the office. Water, absolutely, already at his ankles. Yeah. It's coming in. On knees, come on, at this point. At this point when she's... Because mm. you're going to have to contrast her nearly falling to her death with him nearly drowning. So at that point, it's yeah. got to be like neck yeah. and neck on that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And just as it in, he he's on the, 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 the phone to, you know, his computer screens up. Oh no! Hang on. Wouldn't the wouldn't the flooding fuck the electrics? He's got a laptop. 
He's got a, oh, one of those really old, yeah. Like, um, like the- or the other alternative is, is that he, he writes the copy down, but then he has to fax it and he has to like, he has to get to like an upper floor. So then he's not, he's not just stuck in his room because let's face it, like, he, okay. so he's got the papers. He's going to now run to like, he's on floor like five and he's going to run to floor 10, which is like still, but then, oh, that's it. So he has to like put it in a zip and seal bag and then swim underneath because there's got yeah. to be a moment because of anything that water, there's always that like Poseidon Adventure, like Deep Blue Sea, like anything that has mo- a water in it, guarantee there's a scene where a character has to swim underwater yeah. for an extended period of time. Whack it in a sandwich so he bag and swims. <laughs> so final scene, we're going to like kind of wrap this up. We've got a kind of good premise. We've got the building up. We've got the big climax. Yeah. So what happens, like almost like the epilogue of the story? Does Billy Zane survive or is he arrested? Oh, yeah. I mean, what could we do? We could cut to like a courtroom, maybe when he's on trial, or we could cut to uh, we could cut to like a news reporter saying, though the base was raided and, and the story come out like CEO. Um, uh, what's Billy Zane's character's name going to be? Um, Xander something. Xander. Okay. Cobon. <laughs> <laughs> Cobalt. <laughs> Cobalt. Sounds a cobalt, yes. Yeah, okay. So the news, maybe like six months, three months later, whatever, cuts to um, maybe a, a news report on it. Um, and they're just being like, unfortunately, CEO Xander Cobalt was was never found in, in, Ooh, in yeah. the wreckage or, or whatever. Uh, I think there's going to be a scene where Kelly's like turns off the TV or something and then there's like the camera lingers on like the front page news story of like the New York Times and it's like the front page news story by Kelly O'Neill um yeah and and it's like there's that kind of like she's got what she wanted but at what cost or does it cut like a book signing right so she's she she, Mm. she's uh you know obviously took all the book rights for it she's the big star reporter she now written it up into the book signing books at a waterstones or whatever a borders probably back then (laughs) um shame that failed really because that was quite a good shot um borders in the queue you know you get the usual sort of like dweebs and, and whatever at these book signings and then fifth in Hoodie, okay. Xander, bold. No, I see. I'm going to build this. I'm going to. I'm going to tweak that slightly. I love that, but instead of it being Xander, Xander was never found, and you don't know what's happened to him. But then you see this guy, and okay. he's like quite suave. You don't really see who it is, but he's like, you know, I really love the writing of it. Like she's like, oh, thanks. Well, I hope you enjoy it. You know. And then like he kind of walks out, um, and you kind of start following him on his journey. He goes into the back of a car, and like the camera still hasn't lingered on who it is yet but then the camera moves and Xander is in the car okay beaten and bloodied like so he's obviously like a prisoner and then it's like it's revealed he's like you know like we had we had a deal here Xander and and, and you've ruined now I've got to take control camera pans to the right and it's sealed That 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 there is no better way. There is no better final frame. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. I think we cracked it. And then then, then there's submerged too. Right, so that is the end of the first episode of So Bad It's Good. We've covered everything catastrophic and disastrous in this episode. Uh, and as you know, this is a ten-part project, so we're moving quite swiftly on. I hope you've enjoyed it, and as a farewell, I'll pass you over to my co-host and best mate, Max, who will tell us a bit more of what's coming up. Yes, uh, thanks so much for listening. Um, this has been something Ashley and I have wanted to do for absolutely ages, and we're, we're loving that we were able to share it with you, and hopefully you found it enjoyable. For next episode, we're moving away from disasters, but not too far away, um, and discussing some of the best worst action movies we look forward to sharing that with you in the meantime please do follow uh, this podcast uh, if you if you enjoyed it um, on most channels that you'll find it um, 
shout out and thank you to Anchor. This isn't a sponsored podcast, so that is genuine. Um, and if you are interested in seeing what else we're doing and kind of keeping abreast of the latest uh, in all of So Bad It's Good, um, though we do have Twitter. It's at S-B-I-G underscore podcast. Um, so please do follow that if you're interested in finding out about the next episode. In the meantime, I will say goodbye and look forward to seeing you next time on So Bad It's Good. Mm-hmm.